100 years ago in 1920, the 19th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States was signed into law and officially granted 20 million American women the right to vote. This mass expansion in voting rights was the result of generations of intense activism known as the women's suffrage movement that has had a lasting legacy on the continued fight for equality in America. In recognition of the struggles and achievements of a once disenfranchised majority, Preservation Maryland is honored to present our contribution to the national efforts illuminating this important history, Ballot and Beyond. Hello, I'm Diana Bailey, Executive Director of the Maryland Women's Heritage Center. We're thrilled to partner with Preservation Maryland by expanding the Ballot and Beyond podcast project with stories of valiant Maryland women who worked for suffrage. In addition to featuring suffragists, several of these new podcasts also represent significant women whose historic contributions and achievements have led to their induction into the Maryland Women's Hall of Fame. Our mission at the Maryland Women's Heritage Center is to add her story to history to tell our story in all aspects of our lives. We are especially concerned with representing the critical intersectionality of race and gender in the history of the suffrage movement. As new documentation comes to light, we are sharing the important contributions of African Americans and many other diverse women and men who sought equality, inclusion, and justice for all. Enjoy the podcast and continue to share their stories. This episode of Ballad and Beyond, contributed by the Maryland Women's Heritage Center, is written and read by Christine R. Valerian, a longtime board member of the Baltimore chapter of the National Organization for Women and a volunteer with the Maryland Women's Heritage Center. Anna Pauline Polly Murray. The Reverend Dr. Polly Murray was ahead of her time and a pioneer in the areas of civil rights, feminism, labor, the law, academia, gender, and religion. 15 years before Rosa Parks, Murray was arrested for refusing to move to the back of a Virginia bus. 20 years before Greensboro, she organized a sit-in to desegregate a restaurant. And 40 years before the language of intersectionality, she was invoking the race-sex analogy to describe black women's positionality within the law. One of the most important thinkers and legal scholars of the 20th century, she served as a bridge between the civil rights and women's rights movements. The granddaughter of a slave and the great-granddaughter of a slave owner, Anna Pauline Polly Murray was born in Baltimore in 1910. At the age of three, after the death of her mother and medical incapacitation of her father, Murray was sent to North Carolina to live with a maternal aunt. Growing up in the colored section of Durham, she rebelled against the segregation that was an accepted fact of life and refused to attend a segregated Southern college. She headed north. At the age of 16, she moved to New York City to attend Hunter College. She was both disheartened and motivated when she was rejected for admission. 
Determined to gain entry, Murray attended high school for a year in New York, where she was the only black among 4,000 students. She graduated from Hunter with a Bachelor of Arts degree in English in 1933. After teaching for a few years, she headed back south, where she fought for admission to the all-white graduate school of the University of North Carolina, a school originally funded by her slave-owning ancestors. Murray's fight received national publicity and brought her to the attention of Eleanor Roosevelt, with whom she developed a lifelong friendship. However, the campaign was unsuccessful and Murray was denied admission on the basis of race. In 1940, Murray and a friend sat in the whites-only section of a Virginia bus. They politely refused when the bus driver asked them to move. They were arrested and jailed. This incident and her subsequent involvement with the Socialist Workers Defense League led Murray to pursue a career as a civil rights lawyer. She enrolled in the law school at Howard University, where racism wasn't an issue, but as the only female, sexism certainly was. She coined the term Jane Crow to name the forms of sexist derision she frequently encountered at the school. Murray and a group of female students employed one of the earliest uses of nonviolent tactics. They successfully organized a sit-in demonstration resulting in the desegregation of a cafeteria in Washington, D.C. Murray graduated as the valedictorian of her class in 1944 and hoped to continue her law studies at Harvard University. She was awarded a prestigious fellowship and applied to Harvard but was rejected because of her gender. Instead, she earned a master's degree in law at the University of California, Berkeley. Her master's thesis was the right to equal opportunity in employment. In 1953, one of her former professors, Spotswood Robinson, pulled out a copy of her senior paper and along with Thurgood Marshall and others, used it as a guide to strategize how they would argue the case of Brown versus Board of Education. As a lawyer, Murray argued for civil rights and women's rights and published her first book, State's Laws on Race and Color. Thurgood Marshall described her book as the Bible for civil rights lawyers. In 1960, Murray traveled to Ghana to explore her cultural roots. When she returned, President Kennedy appointed her to his newly created Presidential Commission on the Status of Women. She criticized the way that men dominated leadership of civil rights organizations. She also served on the National Board of the American Civil Liberties Union. In 1965, she became the first African American to receive a Doctor of Juridical Science degree from Yale Law School. She began arguing that the Equal Protection Clause should be applied to cases of sex discrimination in much the same way that it had been applied to cases of racial discrimination. It was the piece co-authored by Murray in 1965 called Jane Crow and the Law 
that Ruth Bader Ginsburg cites as so influential in her thinking about legal remedies for sex discrimination. Ginsburg named Murray as a co-author of a brief on the 1971 case of Reed versus Reed in recognition that much of the legal groundwork for the argument could be attributed to Murray. During a speech in New York, Murray suggested that women organize a march on Washington, which earned her a phone call from the famous feminist Betty Friedan. The next year in 1966, during a conference on women's rights in Washington, D.C., a small group convened in Friedan's hotel room. They discussed the failure of the EEOC to enforce Title VII of the Civil Rights Act and founded the National Organization for Women. Murray was one of 28 women who contributed $5 each to help fund the formation of the organization, which she hoped would serve as an NAACP for women's rights. At the age of 68, Murray became the first black woman and one of the first women to be ordained in the Episcopal Church. In this capacity, she helped lay the groundwork for what we now know as womanist theology. Murray was shaped by more than racism and sexism. She was a gender non-conforming person who struggled both with her sexual and gender identity. In her younger years, she had occasionally passed as a teenage boy. She had asked doctors to administer male hormones to her, even trying to convince one doctor to perform exploratory surgery to see if she had secreted male genitals. She had a brief, annulled marriage to a man and several deep relationships with women. Murray was never in the closet but her career as an attorney, coupled with her Communist Party participation in early adulthood, made her an easy target. By the time she wrote her memoir, Song in a Weary Throat, published after she died in 1985, she had removed all explicit mention of her same-sex relationships. Despite these wide-ranging and influential achievements, Murray's name is not well known today, especially among white Americans. However, there has been a burst of interest in her legacy over the past few years. A residential college has been named after her at Yale. Her childhood home has been designated a National Historic Landmark, and she has been sainted by the Episcopal Church. Murray addressed her legacy in 1970 when she wrote, If anyone should ask a Negro woman in America what has been her greatest achievement, her honest answer would be, I survived. The Reverend Dr. Polly Murray did much more than survive. Thank you to our many Maryland's Heritage Center volunteers, who researched, edited, and brought these stories to the community by reading these podcasts. Researchers and historians are always seeking information about women and their stories. Our efforts to find and document their contributions is ongoing. If you have letters, articles, memorabilia from your past or in your attic or basement, 
Please share with us so that we can continue to fill in the unsung heroine stories for a richer understanding of Maryland women and their contributions to our history. To donate materials or to make a financial gift in support of this work, please visit ballotandbeyond.org. When you're there, you can also listen to biographies from season one and see historic images and transcripts from each episode. If you're inspired by these remarkable women, please share this podcast with your friends, family, colleagues, and students. And rate us on Apple Podcasts or head over to preservecast.org to make a donation. Thank you. Ballot and Beyond is a multimedia history project powered by Preservation Maryland and our award-winning podcast, PreserveCast. It's produced with financial support from Gallagher, Evelius, and Jones, Attorneys at Law, and the Maryland Historical Trust. With a Heritage Fund grant from Preservation Maryland and the Maryland Historical Trust, Season 2 was researched, written, and read by the Maryland Women's Heritage Center.